chapter seventeen of abraham lincoln a history volume ten this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org abraham lincoln a history volume ten by john hay and john george nicolay chapter seventeen the end of rebellion in the early years of the war after every considerable success of the national arms the newspapers were in the habit of announcing that the back of the rebellion was broken but at last the time came when the phrase was true after appomattox the rebellion fell to pieces all at once lee surrendered less than one-sixth of the confederates in arms on the ninth of april the armies that still remained to them though inconsiderable when compared with the mighty host under the national colors were yet infinitely larger than any washington had commanded and were capable of strenuous resistance and of incalculable mischief leading minds on both sides thought the war might be indefinitely prolonged we have seen that jefferson davis after richmond fell issued his swelling manifesto saying the confederates had now entered upon a new phase of the struggle and that he would never consent to abandon to the enemy one foot of the soil of any of the states of the confederacy general sherman so late as the twenty fifth of april said i now apprehend that the rebel armies will disperse and instead of dealing with six or seven states we will have to deal with numberless bands of desperadoes neither side comprehended fully the intense weariness of war that had taken possession of the south and peace came more swiftly and completely than any one had ever dared to hope the march of sherman from atlanta to the sea and his northward progress through the carolinas had predisposed the great interior region to make an end of strife a tendency which was greatly promoted by wilson's energetic and masterly raid the rough usage received by taylor and by forrest at his hands and the blow their dignity suffered in the chase of their fugitive president made their surrender more practicable an officer of taylor's staff came to canby's headquarters on the nineteenth of april to make arrangements for the surrender of all the confederate forces east of the mississippi not already paroled by sherman and by wilson embracing some forty-two thousand men on the fourth of may the terms were agreed upon and signed at the village of citronelle in alabama general taylor gives a picturesque incident of his meeting with general canby the union officers invited the confederates to a luncheon and while the latter were enjoying a menu to which they had long been unaccustomed the military band in attendance began playing hail columbia canby with a courtesy taylor says equal to anything recorded by foissart excused himself and walked to the door the music ceased for a moment and then the air of dixie was heard the confederates not to be left in arrears of good breeding then demanded the national air and the flag of the reunited country was toasted by both sides the terms agreed upon were those accorded by grant to lee with slight changes of detail the united states government furnishing transportation and subsistence on the way home to the men 
lately engaged in the effort to destroy it the confederates willingly testify to the cordial generosity with which they were treated public property says general taylor was turned over and receded for and this as orderly and quickly as in time of peace between officers of the same service at the same time and place the confederate commodore ebenezer ferrand surrendered to rear-admiral henry k thatcher all the naval forces of the confederacy in the neighborhood of mobile a dozen vessels and some hundreds of officers general e kirby smith commanded all the insurgent forces west of the mississippi on him the desperate hopes of mr davis and his flying cabinet were fixed after the successive surrenders of lee and johnston had left them no prospect in the east they imagined they could move westward gathering up stragglers as they fled and crossing the river could join smith's forces and form an army which in that portion of the country abounding in supplies and deficient in rivers and railroads could have continued the war to this hope adds mr davis i persistently clung smith on the twenty first of april called upon his soldiers to continue the fight you possess the means of long resisting invasion you have hopes of succor from abroad the great resources of this department its vast extent the numbers the discipline and the efficiency of the army will secure to our country terms that a proud people can with honor accept and may under the providence of god be the means of checking the triumph of our enemy and securing the final success of our cause the attitude of smith seemed so threatening that sheridan was sent from washington to bring him to reason but he did not long hold his position of solitary defiance one more needless skirmish took place near brazos and then smith followed the example of taylor and surrendered his entire force some eighteen thousand to general canby on the twenty sixth of may the same generous terms were accorded him that had been given to taylor the government fed his troops and carried them to their homes meanwhile general wilson had been paroling many thousands of prisoners who wandered in straggling parties within the limits of his command one hundred and seventy-five thousand men in all were surrendered by the different confederate commanders and there were in addition to these about ninety-nine thousand prisoners in national custody during the year one-third of these were exchanged and two-thirds released this was done as rapidly as possible by successive orders of the war department beginning on the ninth of may and continuing through the summer the first object of the government was to stop the waste of war recruiting ceased immediately after lee's surrender the purchase of arms and supplies was curtailed and measures were taken to reduce as promptly as possible the vast military establishment it had grown during the last few months to portentous dimensions the impression that a great and final victory was near at hand the stimulus of the national hope the prospect of a brief and prosperous campaign had brought the army up to the magnificent complement of a million men the reduction of this vast armament the retrenchment of the enormous expenses incident to it were immediately undertaken with a method and dispatch which were the result of four years thorough and practical training and which would have been impossible under any other circumstances 
every chief of bureau was ordered on the twenty eighth of april to proceed at once to the reduction of expenses in his department to a peace footing and this before taylor or smith had surrendered and while jefferson davis was still at large the transportation department gave up the railroads of the south to their owners mainly in better condition than that in which they had been received they began without delay to sell the immense accumulation of draught animals eight million dollars were realized from that source within the year the other departments also disposed of their surplus stores the stupendous difference which the close of the war at once caused in the finances of the country may be seen in the fact that the appropriations for the army in the fiscal year succeeding the war were thirty three million eight hundred and fourteen thousand four hundred and sixty one dollars as against five hundred and sixteen million two hundred and forty thousand one hundred and thirty one dollars for the preceding year the army of a million men was brought down with incredible ease and celerity to one of twenty five thousand before the great army melted away into the greater body of citizens the soldiers enjoyed one final triumph a march through the capital undisturbed by death or danger under the eyes of their highest commanders military and civilian and the representatives of the people whose nationality they had saved the army of the potomac and the army of sherman such corps of them as were stationed within reach waiting their discharge were ordered to pass in review before general grant and president johnson in front of the executive mansion on the twenty third and twenty fourth of may those who witnessed this solemn yet joyous pageant will never forget it and will pray that their children may never witness anything like it for two whole days this formidable host eight times the number of the entire peace establishment marched the long stretch of pennsylvania avenue starting from the shadow of the dome of the capitol and filling that wide thoroughfare to georgetown with their serried mass moving with the easy yet rapid pace of veterans in cadence step on a platform in front of the white house stood the president and all the first officers of the state the judges of the highest court the most eminent generals and admirals of the army and the navy the weather on both days was the finest a washington may could afford the trees of lafayette square were leafing out in their strong and delicate verdure the army of the potomac which for four years had been the living bulwark of the capital was rightly given the precedence meade himself rode at the head of his column then came the cavalry headed by merritt sheridan having already started for his new command in the southwest custer commanding the third division had an opportunity of displaying his splendid horsemanship as his charger excited beyond control by the pomp and martial music bolted near the treasury and dashed with the speed of the wind past the reviewing stand but was soon mastered by the young general who was greeted with stormy applause as he rode gravely by the second time covered with garlands of flowers the gifts of friends on the pavement the same graceful guerdon was given all the leading commanders even subalterns and hundreds of private soldiers marched decked with these fragrant offerings the three infantry corps the ninth under park the fifth under griffin though warren was on the stand hailed with tumultuous cheers by his soldiers and the second under humphreys moved swiftly forward right with the sixth 
was too far away to join in the day's parade the memory of hundreds of hard-fought battles of saddening defeats and glorious victories of the dead and maimed comrades who had fallen forever out of the thinned ranks was present to every one who saw the veteran divisions marching by under the charge of generals who had served with them in every vicissitude of battle and siege trained officers like crook and ayres and young and brilliant soldiers who had risen like rockets from among the volunteers such as barlow and miles every brigade had its days of immortal prowess to boast every tattered guerdon had its history on the twenty fourth sherman's army marched in review the general rode in person at the head of his troops and was received by the dense multitude that thronged the avenue with a tumult of rapturous plaudits which might have assured him of the peculiar place he was to hold thereafter in the hearts of his fellow-citizens he and his horse were loaded with flowers and his principal commanders were not neglected howard had just been appointed chief of the freedmen's bureau and therefore logan commanded the right wing of the army of the tennessee the place he had hoped for and his friends insist deserved when mcpherson fell hazen had succeeded to the fifteenth corps and frank blair a chivalrous and martial figure rode at the head of the seventeenth slocum led the left wing the army of georgia consisting of the twentieth corps under mower and the fourteenth under j c davis the armies of meade and sherman were not exclusively from the east and west respectively for sherman had the contingent which hooker and howard had brought to chattanooga from the east and there were regiments from as far west as wisconsin and minnesota in the army of the potomac but sherman's troops were to all intents and purposes western men and they were scanned with keen and hospitable interest by the vast crowd of spectators who were mainly from the east there was little to choose between the two armies a trifle more of neatness and discipline perhaps among the veterans of meade a slight preponderance in physique and in swinging vigor of march among the westerners but the trivial differences were lost in the immense an evident likeness as of brothers in one family there was a touch of the grotesque in the march of sherman's legions which was absent from the well-ordered corps of meade a small squad of bummers followed each brigade in their characteristic garb and accessories small donkeys loaded with queer spoils goats and game cocks regimental pets sitting gravely on the backs of mules and piccaninnies the adopted children of companies showed their black faces between the ranks their eyes and teeth gleaming with delight as a mere spectacle this march of the mightiest host the continent has ever seen gathered together was grand and imposing but it was not as a spectacle alone that it affected the beholder most deeply it was not a mere holiday parade it was an army of citizens on their way home after a long and terrible war their clothes were worn with toilsome marches and pierced with bullets their banners had been torn with shot and shell and lashed in the winds of a thousand battles the very drums and fifes that played the ruffles as each battalion passed the president had called out the troops to numberless night alarms had sounded the onset at vicksburg and antietam had inspired the wasted valor of kennesaw and fredericksburg had throbbed with the electric pulse of victory at chattanooga and five forks the whole country claimed these heroes as a part of themselves an infinite gratification forever to the national self-love 
and the thoughtful diplomatists who looked on the scene from the reviewing stand could not help seeing that there was a conservative force in an intelligent democracy which the world had never before known with all the shouting and the laughter and the joy of this unprecedented ceremony there was one sad and dominant thought which could not be driven from the minds of those who saw it that of the men who were absent and who had nevertheless richly earned the right to be there the soldiers in their shrunken companies were conscious of the ever-present memories of the brave comrades who had fallen by the way and in the whole army there was the passionate and unavailing regret that their wise gentle and powerful friend abraham lincoln was gone forever from the house by the avenue where their loyal votes supporting their loyal bayonets had contributed so much to place him the world has had many lessons to learn from this great war the naval fight in hampton roads opened a new era in maritime warfare the marches of sherman disturbed all previous axioms of logistics the system of instantaneous entrenchments adopted by the soldiers of both sides in the latter part of the war changed the whole character of modern field tactics but the greatest of all the lessons afforded to humanity by the titanic struggle in which the american republic saved its life is the manner in which its armies were levied and when the occasion for their employment was over were dismissed though there were periods when recruiting was slow and expensive yet there were others when some crying necessity for troops was apparent that showed almost incredible speed and efficiency in the supply of men mr stanton in his report for eighteen hundred and sixty five says after the disasters on the peninsula in eighteen hundred and sixty two over eighty thousand troops were enlisted organized armed equipped and sent into the field in less than a month sixty thousand troops have repeatedly gone to the field within four weeks and ninety thousand infantry were sent to the armies from the five states of ohio indiana illinois iowa and wisconsin within twenty days this certainly shows a wealth of resources nothing less than imperial and a power of commanding the physical and moral forces of the nation which has rarely been paralleled even more important by way of instruction and example was the lesson given the nations by the quick and noiseless dispersion of the enormous host when the war was done the best friends of the republic in europe feared for it in this crisis and those who disbelieved in the conservative power of democracy were loud in their prophecies of the trouble which would arise on the attempt to disband the army a million men with arms in their hands flushed with intoxicating victory led by officers schooled in battle loved and trusted were they not ready for any adventure was it reasonable to believe that they would consent to disband and go to work again at the bidding of a few men in black coats at washington especially after lincoln was dead could the tailor from tennessee direct these myriads of warriors to lay down their arms and melt away into the everyday life of citizens in america there was no anxiety on this score among the friends of the union without giving the subject a thought they knew there was no danger the war had been made to execute the laws and to save the national existence and when those objects were attained there was no thought among the soldiers from the general to the humblest file-closer but to wait for the expected orders from the civil authorities for their disbandment 
the orders came as a mere matter of course and were executed with a thoroughness and rapidity which then seemed also a matter of course but which will appear more and more wonderful to succeeding generations the muster out began on the twenty ninth of april before lincoln was borne to his grave before davis was caught before the rebels of the trans mississippi had ceased uttering their boasts of eternal defiance first the new recruits next the veterans whose terms were nearly expired next those expensive corps the cavalry and artillery and so on in regular order sherman's laurel-crowned army was the first to complete its muster out and the heroic army of the potomac was not far behind it these veterans of hundreds of battlefields were soon found mingled in all the pursuits of civic activity by the seventh of august six hundred and forty one thousand troops had become citizens by the middle of november over eight hundred thousand had been mustered out without a fancy in any mind that there was anything else to do the navy department had not waited for the return of peace to begin the reduction of expenses as soon as fort fisher fell the retrenchment began and before grant started on his last campaign considerable progress had been made in that direction by the first of may the squadrons were reduced one-half and in july but thirty steamers comprised the entire blockading squadron on the atlantic and the gulf the potomac and mississippi flotillas were wholly discontinued in another month when mr wells made his annual report in december he could say there were in the several blockading squadrons in january last exclusive of other duty four hundred and seventy one vessels and two thousand four hundred and fifty five guns there are now but twenty nine vessels remaining on the coast carrying two hundred and ten guns exclusive of howitzers superfluous vessels were sold by hundreds and the money covered into the treasury thousands of the officers and sailors who had patriotically left the merchant service to fight under the national flag went back to the pursuits of peace for the purposes of pacification and the re-establishment of the national authority the country was divided into five grand divisions that of the atlantic commanded by meade the mississippi by sherman the gulf by sheridan the tennessee by thomas and the pacific by halleck these again were subdivided into nineteen departments and we print here the names of the generals commanding them for the last time as a roll of the men who survived the war most favored by fortune and their own merits hooker hancock augur ord stoneman palmer j m pope terry schofield sickles steedman foster j g wood t j wood r c canby wright reynolds j j steel mcdowell the success or failure of these soldiers in administering the trust confided to them their relations to the people among whom they were stationed and to the president who succeeded to the vacant chair of lincoln form no part of the story we have attempted to tell on the thirteenth of june the president proclaimed the insurrection at an end in the state of tennessee it was not until the second day of april eighteen hundred and sixty six that he proclaimed a state of peace as existing in the rest of the united states and then he accepted the state of texas on the twentieth of august in the same year he made his final proclamation announcing the re-establishment of the national authority in texas and thereupon he concluded i do further proclaim that the said insurrection is at an end and that peace order tranquillity and civil authority now exist in and throughout the whole of the united states of america 
thus the war ended the carnage and the waste of it had surpassed the darkest forebodings the most reckless prophecies on the union side two million two hundred thousand men had enlisted on the confederate about one million of these one hundred and ten thousand union soldiers were killed or mortally wounded in battle a quarter of a million died of other causes the total of deaths by the war on the northern side amounted to three hundred and sixty thousand two hundred and eighty two the number of the confederate dead cannot be accurately ascertained it ranges between two hundred and fifty thousand and three hundred thousand the expense of the war to the union over and above the ordinary expenses of the government was about three billion two hundred and fifty million dollars to the confederacy and less than half that amount about one billion five hundred million dollars it seems a disheartening paradox to the lovers of peace that all this homicide and spoil gave only a new impulse to the growth and the wealth of the nation we have seen how the quick eye of lincoln recognized the fact on the very night of election that the voting strength of the country was greater in eighteen hundred and sixty four than it had been in eighteen hundred and sixty and the census of eighteen hundred and seventy showed a prodigious advance in prosperity and population the thirty one million four hundred and forty three thousand three hundred and twenty one of eighteen hundred and sixty had in the ten troubled years of war and reconstruction increased to thirty eight million five hundred and fifty eight thousand three hundred and seventy one and the wealth of the country had waxed in an astonishing proportion from sixteen billion one hundred and fifty nine million six hundred and sixteen thousand sixty eight dollars to thirty billion sixty eight million five hundred eighteen thousand five hundred and seven dollars even the reconquered states shared in this enormous progress End of chapter seventeen